Over the course of my time doing deep dive interviews with hundreds of business founders and CEOs for my shows, I've come to understand that for the most part, they are just like you and me, which is to say they're human. They all have sleepless nights and midnight terrors. Most of them, at some point, feel like imposters. They are not natural superheroes. They are all Clark Kent's. The only difference between them and you at this moment is that when opportunity presented itself and they went into the phone booth and put on the cape, they took the leap. That's basically it. Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. Where along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. For those of you living on another galaxy, that was the voice of my guest today, Guy Raz, reading from his new book, How I Built This, The Unexpected Path to Success from the World's Most Inspiring Entrepreneurs, published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt and based obviously on his highly acclaimed NPR podcast with over 20 million downloads a month. I learned at the tender age of 21, working for Larry King, that one of the keys to a great interviewer was being curious. My guest today clearly got that memo himself through his own journey. Great ideas often come from a simple spark. A soccer player on the New Zealand national team notices all the unused wool his country produces and figures out a way to turn them into shoes called Allbirds, which I am wearing right now, by the way. I'm even going to prove that. And hold it up. (laughs) I'm pretty much wearing them all the time. A former Buddhist monk decides the very best way to spread his mindfulness teaching by launching an app. That would be Headspace. I chose those two because they're they're two that I use, but there's so many more. I could go into Peloton for three hours, but we could do that (laughs) later. I think you get the point. I'm so honored to have award-winning journalist and NPR host Guy Raz, who has interviewed over 200 highly successful entrepreneurs to uncover amazing stories like these. In this magnificent book, Guy shares tips for every entrepreneur's journey and for anyone dreaming of starting their own business, this is your ways. Yeah, he interviewed the Israeli genius who founded ways before they were sold to Google. And as his, uh, I guess, side hustle over the years, Guy hosted other brilliant podcasts like the TED Radio Hour, Wisdom from the Top, and a personal favorite of mine, as a really huge music fan, The Rewind. Just loved The Rewind. And let's not forget two children's programs, my great nephew, Henry Dodd's favorite show in the world, Wow in the World, and two What's and a Wow. And Guy came through the curtain earlier, which is what he does on those podcasts. Now, along the way, he's picked up some hardware with the Edward R. Murrow Award, the Daniel Shore Journalism Prize, to name a few, Oh, and he was a Neiman Fellow at Harvard. So welcome, Guy, and thank you so much for taking time today to chat. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you for that very over-the-top and warm and kind introduction. I always get embarrassed when, when, when you see that because you don't sit down over the course of your day and say, here are my achievements and go through them in your head. It's just so <laughs> awkward. So anyway, thank you for that. 
I understand. I understand. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Larry King because I really wanted to start with curiosity. And when I listen to your shows, your curiosity seems to anticipate the questions that I have in mind, which is what I admired and learned so much from my time with Larry. So where does that ability, where does that curiosity come from? I think we all have it, Mitch. I mean, I think we all, we're all born curious, you know? I mean, remember when you were a kid and, or when maybe you had your own, you know, your own kids and they were small and and they asked you a million questions. I remember when my kid was two, you know, we were looking at the stars and he said, how far away is it? You know, I I just, it never, never occurred to me. I never, you know, how long would it take to get there? And, And that kind of led me on my own kind of recapturing of my own curiosity, really once my kids were born. And I, I think that we lose that at a certain point in our lives. There's a point in our lives where we get jobs, you know, we, we go on a career track and, and we stop asking the questions of awe, you know, um, how long would it take to get to the stars? Oh, it would take, you know, a lifetime, more, more than a lifetime, maybe impossible, you know, four or five light years away to get to the closest one. So I really think that we have this within us. In my case, I, I, I was very fortunate to spend the first part of my career as a reporter, as a reporter overseas, and even in the US, where I was able to travel to 40, 50 countries around the world, war zones, and see and meet some of the most incredible people, ordinary people, impoverished, um, living in total depravity, but but living a life of generosity. You know, I remember, you know, going to a village in Afghanistan and, you know, arriving there and and, and the people there gave me everything they had, all the, they, they prepared an incredible meal for me because I was a visitor. And being able to explore 50 countries as a reporter and really immerse myself in those countries and spend time with people in those countries, I was able to kind of develop the skill of listening, which is a skill that we can all develop. It just takes practice, like shooting free throws. And by being able to figure out how to listen actively to people, it kind of opened up like a channel in my brain of just a channel where I had this desire to know more. And I think, again, most of us have that channel. We just don't use it. And that channel is a, is a, is a curiosity channel. That's really how it, how it began for me. And clearly, most important channel that exists. So um, really, really interesting to hear you say that. A recent guest on my show, and this is really his name, Flip Flippin, he's a social entrepreneur. And he, he wrote a New York Times bestseller called Your Third Story, Author of the Life You Were Meant to Live. So the first story is the one you're born into. The second is the one you tell yourself to justify the first. And the third is when you throw away the playbook and just write your own. Listeners like myself to your shows love the stories. The reason Mm -hmm. I listen, I I mean, I've been an NPR fan my whole life. I actually worked with Terry Gross too. I've worked with Howard Stern, Terry Gross, and Mm -hmm. Larry King. So that's quite a triumvirate. Um, And all before the age of 25. But People can look you up on Wikipedia. They can see your background. But in in your own words, I'd love to hear kind of what elements of your stories really define your journey that, you know, goes through CNN and Kosovo and Berlin and the Pentagon and Jerusalem, et cetera. And I don't say this to sound falsely modest. I don't think I'm an extraordinary or different person. I, I really do think that I am an ordinary person who got lucky in, in the sense that I had many opportunities to explore in my life. You know, as a young reporter, I, I had the early opportunity to go overseas and to live overseas and um, to cover wars 
And I was sort of forced to be exposed to all kinds of people around the world. And that really gave me this incredible foundation to just want to keep learning and keep meeting and keep inquiring. And so, you know, really, and actually when I thought about this book, I really thought about it as the kind of book that I would want to read if I didn't get to do the things that I do. You know, today, because of those experiences, and I've been in journalism and media for 20, almost 25 years, you know, I have this unprecedented access to pretty much anybody because how I built this is, is a show that has an enormous audience today. And so I have this incredible privilege, but also responsibility because I have access to all these people to be an avatar for my listeners, to imagine what they would want to know about, and also to think about the lessons that I can draw from the people on my show that will be valuable and important for the people listening. You know, I I think of my show as like a free business school or masterclass, and I think of the book that way too. It's like, how, how can I put something out into the world that somebody who doesn't have the same access that I do can take and read and say, I'm there. I'm with that person. I'm in their I'm in their movie. I'm in their story and I'm learning the lessons that they are now transmitting to me. And I think that's really how I have thought about what I do and it really does begin with my own story as somebody who didn't have access, who didn't have the opportunities that I now have and who worked really hard and also got pretty lucky over the course of my career. And it's something that I just think about all the time and haven't forgotten about. Mm. It's so true. And I'm glad you mentioned the MBA class because actually it was my son who first turned me on to you. And after he graduated school and he's gone on and taken his CFA, but he we were talking about the MBA program and he says, no, no, I have that covered with Guy Raz. (laughs) I said, really? He said, yeah, trust me, dad. And I'm a financial advisor, so obviously I know a lot about these companies, but I I can't imagine learning more. And I took a program at Stanford once and actually had Joel Peterson on recently who teaches Mm. there, who's just a brilliant, brilliant man. But really the stories that come through on your show and the stories that come through obviously in the book really are are a masterclass. So if we were to reflect back on your youth a little bit, were there any clear signs of where your career path was leading? I mean, did you ever interview your family at the dinner table? You know, I I really was from a young age interested in the world. You know, when when I was a kid, we were a 60 minutes on Sunday night family. We had the LA Times and the breakfast table every morning. I devoured it. Um, I loved sports. I loved the news. I loved talking about it with my parents. It was a really big part of my life. So m- when I was a kid, I was really engaged in current events and, and really interested in them. And I think it really by the time I was in middle school, I started to kind of be interested in writing about contemporaneous events. You know, we had like a middle school newspaper. And then by the time I got to high school, I joined the newspaper. So I'm one of those kind of freakish people that pretty early on, I I got into the thing that I eventually did, which was I was the editor of my my high school paper and then went to college and and, and was an editor there too. Um, And I thought I'd be a newspaper writer. That that was my ambition in life. And, And really, and I've talked about this in the book, and I think it's a lesson for a lot of people who are struggling to figure out what to do or who are 
kind of at a roadblock or an impasse in their businesses is that I had huge setbacks that basically prevented me from becoming a newspaper journalist because it was very competitive and I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get any half-decent newspaper to hire me. But what a blessing that that turned out to be in my life because I went into radio, I went into NPR and really kind of started my journey as a journalist there, which was transformational for me. You know, today, what I do today in every single way, how I built this radio, audio, podcasting, it is every single one of those things is the result of a failure, is the result of an obstacle, an impasse, a failure, a rejection or a roadblock that led me or forced me to find a way around it. And at the time, those rejections and setbacks were extremely painful. But today, I know that they were all incredibly fortunate to have happened. They were there for a reason. And you had, you were so fortunate to be part of NPR and, and certainly an organization that, you know, and I go back many, many years from being in school in DC when I, when I fairly first developed a love of NPR that it's just, it's just a whole other level. And so it's just not, not a surprise. I actually took um, a podcasting class with Kenny Malone about a year and a half ago uh-huh. um, when I, after 10 years, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, got this show, finally convinced my firm that um, this is not the boogeyman and this is okay. But uh, spent some time with Kenny uh, who on Planet Money and, and really, really got a lot from him. So he's great. I love he, Kenny. He, he's, he's terrific. Great guy. So you talked about listening, obviously, and this is one of them, but any other really skills when, when you think about being an interviewer? I mean, listening clearly is number one, and I totally agree, but other, other skills that people should consider? I kind of alluded to it earlier, but it's curiosity, you know, and, and these are things that, that any, anybody can develop. You know, a lot of people ask me, how do you interview people? And it's a hard question to answer because it's sort of like being a professional basketball player. You know, a lot of those players when they were kids just stood at the free throw line and just shot basket after basket. And most of those free throws didn't make it in. But over time, they will start to make it. You'll start to sink those baskets. And it's the same in what I do. You know, I've been doing what I do for almost 25 years. So over time, you, as with anything, when you practice and work at it, you get better at it. You know, it's the proverbial 10,000 hours or whatever, you know, whatever that is. But to me, the core elements of really pulling a story out of somebody. And I do that because there are valuable lessons in human stories and in human insights and wisdom, right? That's what this book is about. It's a collection of these incredible insights and lessons that are designed to show all of us the way towards building something or creating something. It doesn't even have to, by the way, be a business. It can be something within your own company and innovation. It's, it's, it's designed to be a framework for how to think about what you do and how to do it better. And really, the, the, the fundamentals of pulling that out of people are creativity, are, are curiosity and the, the skill of listening. You know, it's, it's a practiced skill. Um, but if you can really hone and develop those parts of you, then the next step is empathy. You know, empathy is really important. You, you need to get inside of somebody's head and you need to go on that journey with them. And I also believe empathy is a developed skill. I mean, some people naturally have more of it than others, but um, uh, there's a reason why many schools teach the roots of empathy because it is actually an incredibly important skill in the business world and in life if you want to be 
successful in connecting with people, you have to develop a sense of empathy. And it's the same as an interviewer. And I began my, my days wanting to be an actor. So I had a, you know, a lot of training at Northwestern and HB Studios in New York in my early, early days. And that's really where I learned a lot of the skills that have helped me through all forms of communication and empathy being one of the biggest, the biggest parts of that. And I'm so glad you used that word. And, you know, there are those that would say, why am I asking this question to Guy Raz? Because the Guy Raz style is the style to, to emulate. But having worked for Terry Gross myself and Larry King, I've, I've been lucky to emulate others. And I'm just wondering if there's any other names that jump out to you that you've always really enjoyed their approaches and the way they handle interviews. Yeah, I mean, Terry and, and Larry King and, and um, Howard Stern are great examples. I mean, Bob Costas, one of the great interviewers of all time. I mean, Bob Costas, is, many people think of him as a sports guy, but, you know, he really, he's not working anymore, but he really had that capacity to show empathy, I think, and, and to really connect with people. There was an NPR host years ago, Noah Adams, who was just terrific. Sure. Obviously, Oprah Winfrey, you know, is, is really incredible um, and does it better than anybody. So, um, and there are plenty of great, great people out there who, who have their own style and their own way of, of connecting with people. Mm-hmm. No, it's so, it's so important. So let's dive into this inspirational, to quote Mark Cuban's early review guidebook for future entrepreneurs that you've written. So how was the experience, first of all, of writing rather than talking? Obviously, you've written before, but how do you begin putting together a greatest hits type of book from so many incredible shows? Yeah, I mean, well, it's not, it's not really even a greatest hits. It's, it's more of a, a kind of an, an analysis and extraction of wisdom and ideas that really aren't on the show. I mean, some of some of these stories, there are elements that, that you've heard on the show. But when I interview somebody for how I built this, you know, I'm interviewing them for a lot longer than what appears on the show, where we, we carefully edit the show down to about an hour, hour and 10 minutes. So there's a lot left on the cutting room floor. And there's a lot of wisdom that we're not able to put on the show for a variety of reasons. Maybe the story just is, is it's too, too long, or it, it kind of meanders, and we can't, you know, we just feel like for the sake of moving the story forward, we cut that part out. So this book is an opportunity to really kind of bring some of that out because essentially, you know, every business story, it's the same story more or less, which is you have this idea to create something and everybody listening here has had an idea. What if I, what if I make the, you know, a a, a coffee mug that heats itself up? Or what if I come up with, uh, contact lenses that uh, clean themselves, you know, wh- whatever it might be. And you have an idea and it is so exciting. It, it keeps you up at night. You're so excited about it. Well, the thing is, is that that's the easiest part about starting a business. The idea in your mind, you know, and, and, and you, you imagine people using your product. You imagine people buying it on the shelves. You imagine how it changes people's lives. But then, then reality begins and you have to come up with a business plan. You've got to research. You've got to find funding. You've got to find a production facility. You've got to find partners. You've got to find a a team, employees. You've got to really roll up your sleeves and do the hard work. Each one of those parts, because every business owner goes to this, every founder goes to this, is an enormous obstacle. So a business essentially is a series of problems 
you are jumping from one lily pad to the next lily pad. And then there's another lily pad and there's another one. And each one is a problem. And, and it's, you know, there's a, a, an African proverb. How do you eat an elephant? One piece at a time, right? That is essentially how you break down a business. You, you do it one problem at a time. And that is the story of every business. Now, how they resolve those problems is extremely different. How they confronted these challenges is very different. What, what this book is designed to do is to say pretty much every single problem you will confront, whether you're building a business or building something within your company, because I, I talk to a lot of corporations and I'm really fascinated by intrapreneurs, internal entrepreneurs, people who you know, come up with incredible innovations within their companies. A good example is TurboTax. You know, the mobile app for TurboTax was designed internally at Intuit. It's a huge multi-million dollar business. It was designed by an employee. You know, the, the iPod, the iPhone, right? These are all the products of intrapreneurial thinking. Right. And so this book really is designed to be a repository of mistakes made and how they were resolved. Because essentially, if you could make a phone book, of every mistake on, on earth with an index, basically nobody would make mistakes anymore because it's like the wheel. You don't have to reinvent it. Yet, every single day in thousands of businesses around the country or in thousands of meeting rooms or today Zoom calls when people are iterating and coming up with an idea, they are just doing the same, repeating the same mistakes that other people have made. So what I'm trying to do here is to, co- to codify it, to say, hey, Here's a book of how mistakes were solved and how these people actually triumphed and, and worked around it and built incredible businesses like Allbirds, like Dyson, like Carol's Daughter, any of the businesses I've done, Airbnb, um, Instagram, all started with people who were Clark Kent's, just like us, right. you know, and then turned them into these incredible enterprises. And what I loved, uh, and we'll talk a little bit later about the Resilience series, but I watched the interview you did with John Malone from Peloton, yep. um, which, is a, which is a big deal in our house. And I've actually known one of their, uh, Jen Sherman, who's one of the, the instructors for many, many years. But what I loved the other night when I watched that was that you, you asked a hard question, but it was a question that was very fair, as so many businesses are struggling right now, yet Peloton... Zoom, which we're on right now, obviously are in the right place at the right time. And, and how does that make you feel? And, and I think that was, I loved his answer and I loved the question. And, and I think that's the kind of th- things that are in the book because she didn't write a best of book. I mean, to be fair, if there's a method there, I mean, you know, you have these digestible bites, the call, the tests, the destination. And I don't know if anyone else will compare these three to the five books of Moses, but you really laid out, (laughs) as Airbnb founder Joe Gebbia has said, the compass, the map, and the headlamp you need to navigate the wilderness or maybe the promised land. And there's my Springsteen reference of the week, folks. (laughs) That's a whole separate thing. But there's a lesson there in entrepreneurship. So just take us briefly through each section because, as you described, it is not a best of yeah, I mean, I had this insight early on when I launched the show, and it was really after I launched the show, that building a business is like a hero's journey. You know, if you've ever read any work by Joseph Campbell, he came up with this concept of the hero's journey back in the 60s. 
And basically, he looked at every great story, Gilgamesh, the Bible, the Odyssey, the Iliad, and he, he showed how there is nothing new under the sun. Every story is essentially a version of the same thing. There's a hero. The hero is controversial in some way or special or something, you know, Harry Potter, whatever it might be. And the hero has to leave the village. There's something that happens. The hero has to leave the village and, and goes on a journey. And on that journey, the hero will confront a dragon or, I mean, these are all allegorical, but, sure, you know, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll almost die and we'll slay the dragon. We'll find a mentor. We'll fall into an abyss. We'll climb out. And that essentially is the story of building a business. It is an incredibly lonely, can be incredibly solitary, stressful, crushingly difficult experience. I have a story about Jamie Siminoff, the founder of Ring, sold it to, to Amazon for a billion dollars. But I mean, six years before he sold that business or five years before he sold that business, he was bankrupt. I mean, his wife was supporting them and said, let's take a mortgage out on our house to save this business. You know, and he, he, he was crying when he recounted that story to me because it is so emotionally gut-wrenching to think, my God, I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to put my, my mortgage, I've got kids on the line. I mean, John, John Foley at Peloton, five, six years ago, he went to 400 investors and only three or four of them agreed to invest. He could not convince people to invest in this business that today, of course, is booming, you know, right. incredibly profitable. So the book really is designed as a series of, steps along the journey, you know, starting from how to come up with an idea, which in some ways is the easiest part of a business, believe it or not. It's the execution that's the challenge. Um, and then when to know whether you should leave your job or not to do it, how to do it safely, how to do your research, how to really dig in. And, and, and so every part of this book, you know, whether it's about iteration, whether it's about how to raise money, how to find money, where to start your business, you know, what to do when, when catastrophe strikes, um, how to pivot when you have to. We're in the midst of a great pandemic. Every business now has had to figure out how to pivot to survive. Every part of this book is, you know, designed to address a, a point in, in, along the journey of building anything, whether it's inside of a company or, you know, or on your own. And I did that because I, I think that's, you know, it's a structure that, really does mirror the way businesses are created. You know, they are, they are these journeys. Um, and so I wanted this to be a book where through stories, through the stories of people that, that you will recognize or brands or businesses you recognize, I wanted to offer really practical, critical lessons and how to think creatively about building something, whether, as I say, it's a for-profit business, a non-profit business, an internal innovation in your company, or just how to kind of think about the way you do what you do or the way you work. It's really designed to trigger ideas. And it's very emotional. I was actually telling my brother last night about the Tate's Cookie episode, just happened to be one that he had missed. And from spending a lot of time in the Hamptons in the last 25 years, because my sister has a house out there, I was a Tate's Cookie fan. And, and I found that story 
it was just so upsetting. I mean, it was just, I mean, the ending is great, but it was just so upsetting what happened to her and what she had to go through. And it's interesting, you mentioned the author earlier, and I'm thinking of Heart of Darkness, and I'm thinking of Marlon Brando and Apocalypse Now and being <laughs> being out there. And, and that's almost uh, an interesting analogy to, to what all of these folks have gone through. Yeah, I mean, Kathleen King, you know, at the age of 40, she'd built up this really successful business and it was taken from her by by kind of, sh- you know, unscrupulous partners and she had to start all over again and and she started Tate's Cookies on her own. But would go on it would go on to sell for a quarter of a billion dollars, you know, to Mondelez, a mm-hmm. huge multinational. I mean, it's an incredible story. She was wiped out. Wiped out. In yep. in, in massive debt at the age of 40 after working for 20 years to build up her, her cookie company. So that is a story about resilience. And that's really, this book is also designed to be there next to you when you are saying, I gotta give, I gotta quit, I gotta give this up. Cause it's really hard. It's a solitary pursuit to build something. You know, whether you're a NASA engineer or you're building a corner store or a, a juice shop, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, or small restaurant. There are so many moments along the journey in, in building something where you want to give up. It's a natural for us to do that as humans. We want to give up. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes you do just have to do it and move on. But sometimes it's about not giving up, but about pivoting or shifting direction or taking what you've learned and coming up with a new idea. And many times, you know, Jamie Simonoff of Ring is a great example of this. You know, he had five or six different businesses that that kind of didn't really work out before he, he came up with Ring. And so really this book, in a sense, is designed to be like a trusted friend, you know, like somebody you can turn to when you're feeling low or, or feeling like you're in, in, you know, you've got doubts. And that's what How I Built This, the show is also designed to do. We hear from thousands of people every month who say, this show has kept me going because I am struggling. The pandemic has really been challenging, but hearing the show, hearing the people you talk to and hearing their ideas has really kept me going and has kept me moving forward. And that's, that's what I hope this book will do too. Oh, and, and, and that's exactly what it does. And it's all about thriving rather than just surviving right now. And to quote uh, my friend, Kathy Sharp Ross in, in her book, really reinventing yourself at times when you just have to pivot. So I want to pivot for a second over to the children's uh, shows because sure. it must be very exhilarating for you, obviously, as well as the kids, as I mentioned earlier. So is there any different type of preparation that you do for, for a show like that than typically with adults? The basic principles are the same, which is research. I do a lot of research before every interview that I do. I know a lot about the people I'm I'm interviewing. And sometimes I know more about them than they even know about themselves because it's fresh in my mind. And, and, you know, we do really, really deep dive research. With respect to to what I do, so I do this kids show. It's called Wow in the World. I do it with a wonderful friend, uh, my co-host and partner, Mindy Thomas. Um, We started a children's production company several years ago. So, I am also an entrepreneur myself. I, I run two production companies. I've got Built It Productions, which co-produces How I Built This, and as a show with Luminary, and we do a variety of other things, and in, in, in mostly in media. And then I, I also um, am the co-owner of a children's production company called Tinkercast that I partners with Mindy Thomas, my co-host, and we have another partner named Meredith Halpern Ranzer. 
we do live events and we have wow in the world and we um, are producing other programs and working on other projects. And we've got a whole free curriculum for children and we're working on different platforms in technology. But the, the basic premise of the show is that Mindy and I are best friends and we go on scientific journeys around the world in space, back in time, in the future, underwater. And every episode is, is based and derived on an article from a peer-reviewed academic journal. So, so every episode is rooted in real hard science. And what we do is we look for really cool discoveries, mainly from universities that have been peer-reviewed, and then we dive into them and we take them apart and figure out how to explain them first to ourselves, because neither Mindy nor I are science journalists by training. We are journalists and, and, and you know, we know how to, how to break things down and make them understandable, but we over the past four years have kind of become science journalists because we've taken complex ideas and really broken them down for kids. And the idea behind the show, and, and what we do is, I mean, we've got a flying pigeon, we have a time machine, we, Mindy lives in a gingerbread house, we have all kinds of characters that we've brought into the show. And the idea behind the show is to get kids so excited about science. The show is really funny. You know, Mindy's character is so fun and so funny. And my character is kind of a, a heightened version of who I am. I'm sort of cautious and a little bit anal. And, you know, what's, what's really started out as a side project almost four years ago became the biggest kids podcast in the United States. I mean, we now have almost 6 million downloads a month, which is just extraordinary. I mean, it, it, it really began as something that was a labor of love and became a business. I mean, we have, before the pandemic, we were touring all across the country um, in massive, really big venues of 4,000 seat venues. And we were selling out two shows a day, you know, filled with kids. And it really is probably one of the most incredibly fulfilling and, and just rewarding things I do. Because when you see a kid who's moved by what you do and who's laughing and we have songs and we sing. It's just so meaningful. You know, I mean, I love how I built this. I love that I'm inspiring entrepreneurs and that we're, we're developing a culture of entrepreneurship or we're, we're helping to further develop it, I should say. But there is something that is just really special when you, when a kid, a little kid, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-old kid is inspired to pursue science or is inspired to learn more about science because of of what you do. You've really filled a void that was, that was long gone, you know, with Mr. Rogers. And again, I'm not comparing the content, obviously, of what, what he did, but he was able to capture imaginations in his own way, as Sesame Street certainly was in their own way. And you've captured it in, in the way of today's technology, but giving them the opportunity to, to really learn something and have fun. And, and, and I, I really, I, I, such admiration for what you do for that because that that really is great and as i've mentioned you know i have a great nephew who is just just tells me all about it all the time and 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 i have listened and it's really it's it's just really a lot of fun and i'm i'm sure you're you've really enjoyed it i've got one more question before we do a little lightning round as a fellow podcaster and I, although i i have to say i kind of feel like a little eager chatting with a hall of famer I'm going to throw in Tom Seaver because I'm going to always pick the one Met 
in the Hall of Fame. Fair um, enough. That, that's Seaver is a great choice. You could yep. pick my, he's one of the six great pitchers of all time. Well, you know, as, as a Met fan, he's the only one in there. He's He's been my idol. Everyone thinks Bruce Springsteen's my idol because that's usually what I talk about most of the time and attend the concerts and have a relationship with Steve Van Zandt and a lot of things in that world. But Tom Seaver will always be my idol. So from 2006 to today, podcasting awareness has grown from about 20, 22% of the adult population to well over 75%. And I know personally, because I wanted to start this podcast 10 years ago, when I first met my client, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a big deal in, in, in the social media world, but my industry was like, whoa, cowboy, <laughs> this is dangerous. Uh, we're, we're afraid of this. We, you know, And now I've been able to lead my firm out of the wilderness and the industry in this genre and show that you can actually educate. And mm -hmm. you can actually teach. And yep. that's why I speak to people like Guy Raz. And I don't talk about municipal bonds, for example, because nobody really wants to walk their dog and hear about municipal bonds. Mm -hmm. But the question's really about the future of podcasting. Are, are we just at the beginning in the early years? Or do you think uh, we're peaking at this point? The way I look at it is that podcasting is not a new experience. It's just a new technology, right? So humans have been telling stories since the Neolithic ages, probably before then, right? Um, you know, once we, could, we, once we could communicate, we had an oral tradition, and that lasted for most of human history. I mean, written tradition is relatively new. So we had the oral tradition, and then the written tradition, and that was what we had for a while. You know, and then you've got the printing press. And then, you know, in the 20th century, you've got electronic media. You've got wireless, which is radio, which is essentially a new form of the oral tradition. You've got newspapers. Um, and then, you know, you've got photographs. And then you've got video. And so today, as humans, we have essentially really two ways we can absorb information through our ears and our eyes, I guess, not two ways, because you can feel things and smell mm -hmm. things, but really, we mostly absorb things through our ears and our eyes, if we are, have the capacity and capability to use those. Podcasting, what, what it is, is it's an oral tradition. It's, it's audio. You know, we used to call it radio. Um, that's terrestrial radio will, will eventually go away. And now it's digital audio, which we call podcasting, um, which is on-demand audio. And what the next iteration of that will be, I don't know. I mean, it could be something even more immediate, even more instant, you know. But it is, it, but, but as long as we are, as a species, capable of absorbing information primarily through our ears and our eyes, audio is always going to be, is always going to grow in part, in, in large part, because you can do other things. If you're listening to our conversation right now, you might be running or chopping onions or driving. You can't really do that and read the newspaper or watch television. It's harder. So I'm a big believer in the future of audio and, and in the growth of podcasting. I think there are over a million podcasts in the English language alone today. So there's a huge choice of, of options and only a tiny fraction of those podcasts have a, a large audience. But I don't think it, it, I mean, it's it's a little bit like YouTube or TikTok. You know, there are millions and millions and millions of, of content creators and only a small number of them have developed an audience. But every day there's a new one. There are new content creators who find an audience. And so I like to think of digital audio as 
really one of the most democratic ways to amplify an idea or a message because it doesn't the barrier to entry is relatively low. It doesn't cost a lot. What I always say to, to people who are interested in podcasting is I say, focus on your audience. Don't worry about getting a million downloads. If you've got a hundred people listening to your show, how often can you walk out on a street corner and talk and have a hundred people gathered around you and listen to what you have to say? Right? Most people would not be able to to convene that number of people to hear them out. So podcast is a great way to, to go. And I'm a big believer in the future of this medium and and in, in audio in general. What what podcasting may be in 10 years, it may not be called podcasting, it may be called something else. We are always going to be listening to things. We are. And I, I I fell in love with audio the second I got behind the microphone for the first time at WRGW playing The Clash or whatever I was doing at the time. And then obviously working with Larry and having my own financial radio show in New York in the 90s. And there's nothing like it. And quite frankly, and from someone that's been on stage and done a lot of other things in their life, there's nothing more I enjoy than listening and listening to good audio and learning. And thank you so much for, for providing providing just this beautiful palette of shows that you have out there. So we're going to do a little lightning round. And All forgive right. me, because in my 20s, I worked on a game show. It was called Fantasy with Peter Marshall and Leslie Uggams. It lasted maybe six weeks. Unfortunately, it was on opposite General Hospital during the Luke and Laura years. But fun, <laughs> fun for me because it was in uh, Burbank and it was in the studio next to Carson. I was kind of a lucky kid watching Johnny Carson a uh-huh. in the 80s. And I also appeared on a game show, Love Connection, on my own when I was interviewing for a job and wound up as a guest and having some fun there. So I love just doing lightning rounds. It's just one of those things. So let's see if you can beat the other couples. And right. of course, millennials and Gen Zers may not get that newly game, newlywed game reference, but here we go. So right. if you could interview people from history who are not with us anymore, who would your first guest be? My first guest would be, it's a problem. I've been asked this before because I give multiple names. So I'm going to say my first guest would be probably Alexander the Great, Caesar Augustus. So, no, no, no. My first guest would be Caesar Augustus. That's who it would be. I would want to talk to him and find out why, why he wanted to expand the empire and whether he, he was anticipating what would happen after that expansion. It would be, it would be Augustus. Mm-hmm. That's what I talked about. Yeah, be, I'd be a great guest, and I don't know if the answer is in I Claudius. I'll have to go back and watch all <laughs> all the episodes, but that would be a great, great guest. Is there a question you'd like to have not asked someone during an interview that you've gone back and said, "Eh," because you ask very honest questions? But maybe is there something that you've gone back and said, "Maybe I shouldn't." Of course, you have the the beauty of editing, so. I mean, in the early days of my career, I would ask questions that I now believe are not helpful or relevant, you know, that I have kind of edited out of, the, of my line of questions generally, but I always ask people different questions. I, you know, I, I think in general, when somebody's experienced trauma, I'm very careful not to ask them to relive that trauma. And I think probably early in my career, I would say, I would ask details about, you know, a death that, that they witnessed or something that they saw, or, you know, thinking that that was necessary to, to, to tell the story. Um, and now I, I realize that that's actually not necessary. Mm-hmm. So what podcasts besides mine, of course, um, do you <laughs> listen to regularly? Code Switch and Planet Money. 
two great ones. And we mentioned Kenny Malone earlier and Planet Money is, is uh, not just because okay. I work in the field because it really isn't necessarily about the financial investing field, but there, I've, I've learned so much from both of those shows. So of course, I'm going to end this as you always do. So on your show, How I Built This, you typically end the conversation asking the question about luck versus talent. So Guy Raz, what do you credit your success with? I mean, a big part of it is luck, and I'll tell you why. Because in 2000, I went to a barbecue reluctantly at a friend's house in Washington, D.C. I wasn't really interested in going, and I went, and I saw somebody at that barbecue who I wanted to talk to. And I didn't, didn't talk to her. And I called my friend the next day and I, I, I asked her who this person was. And she was going through all the people at the party until she finally figured out who I was talking about. And it turned out it was her new roommate. And I said, can you bring her to a party the next week? And she said, I'll try, I'll ask her. And, and she asked this, her roommate if she would come to the party. And her roommate was not interested in coming to the party. It was a Saturday night. She was a law student. She had a lot of work and she was very tired and she just wanted to to stay at home and do some work and go to sleep. And as my friend was leaving their apartment and the door was opening, this woman called out to her, said, hold on, I'm just going to be miserable if I stay here. I'll come, give me a minute, let me get ready. And she came to that party and I met her there. And today she's my wife and the mother of my two children and my best friend. And the reason why I was able to succeed because She's been an incredible supporter. She's an amazing, has had an amazing career in her own in her own right as a lawyer and a senior counselor in the U.S. government, working on healthcare issues. That is my luck because without that person in my life, I would not be as successful as I, I have become. So for me, luck is an enormous factor. That's just beautiful. I mean, really, it says it all. Guy, thank you so much for your generosity of time. And on behalf of the entire Slater family, really, who <laughs> are probably listening at the door right now instead of doing their work from home. As I said, I have someone working for Time Magazine, someone working for People Magazine, <laughs> and my son who's handling the sustainability area at UBS. We're all huge fans. Thank um, you and so I, much. I, you know, it's funny. I a friend of mine named Rich Russo, we, he's, he's in the music world and he knows my love of the, everything Springsteen and I've had members of the band on and actually had Bruce's sister on and I do everything I can to not to play fanboy because hmm. that's just not me. I mean, I've met Paul McCartney and we had hmm. a discussion about the bananas at the store that we were buying, but I, I don't get intimidated much, but I'm a fanboy. And I'm just going to admit it. And I really <laughs> want to thank you for hours of inspiring educational radio podcasts. We have a 10-hour drive to Michigan later this week. And I want my <laughs> to pick up my mother-in-law, rescue her, and take her up to northern Michigan for a few days. And I'd like to get out of this house that I've been for <laughs> four or five months. Uh -huh. uh, but we're going to listen to that Resilience series because oh, I, I, I really think, and I've listened to most of them, that they've been so motivating and and and... What I just have to ask one more. I'm going to throw in. What's been your takeaway from the resilience episodes? Because there's been so much, so much there, including something I was watching five minutes ago on LinkedIn before we yeah. started talking. It's adaptability. It's businesses that adapt and that are willing to adapt and are willing to confront their crisis or crises and think creatively will be okay. They will be okay. And I've seen it from big companies and small 
small ones too. You know, I've got a friend who's got a restaurant. They were shut down because of COVID. So they did take out for a long time. And then they were able to reopen. They reopened and everything went fine. But then the county shut all restaurants down again. So they went back to takeout. Takeout was not sustainable to keep the staff. So they worked out a deal with an outdoor space where they can serve people entirely outdoors. And they, they built a kitchen there. And they're trying that. So it's hard. It's very hard on the team. They've had to have furloughs. But they are surviving. And they are figuring out how to get through this. Because we will all get through it. And eventually, this will pass. And in the businesses that get through this, you'll be able to throw anything at them in the future and they'll be okay. Absolutely. The book is How I Built This, The Unexpected Paths to Success from the World's Most Inspiring Entrepreneurs. And as of September 15th, which is about the time you will hear this, available everywhere, or you can even order now if this show somehow airs before that date. I'm going to go out on a limb and saying this book will be on everyone's year-end best business book list, probably right at the top. I really, really enjoyed reading it. Really, really did. Check out, guys, Facebook Live, How I Built Resilience Series, which are happening right now. I mentioned the Peloton episode with John Foley. Uh, for those of you that are spending as much time, and we have battles in our house for the Peloton, mm -hmm. but that, that episode will leave your head spinning, not just uh, you on the bike, but with hope. So thank you, Guy. Thank you to Taryn and Hannah at HMH Books for making this happen. Thanks to the folks at Resonate Recording for the great post-production work. And remember, when saving for your future, pay yourself first. Have a great week.